Welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800 Now, Moscow has said no Christmas ceasefire was on the cards after nearly 10 months of war in Ukraine, rejecting a call by Kiev to start withdrawing troops by Christmas as a step to end Europe's biggest conflict since World War II. Now, you might remember we spoke to Clan Melman Andrew Last from the city of Kiev in Ukraine recently, and the good news is that he's home safe and he joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Fran, thanks for having me. You're very welcome indeed, and great, great to see you back home. Uh, you got home on Monday, I think, was that it? That's right. Yeah, I got the ferry from Sherbrooke back to Dunleary there uh, on Monday. Um, I thankfully, well, actually, it was Sunday afternoon where I left, but I arrived in Ireland then on Monday, and thankfully so because I would have been stuck in France for another three days um, due to lack of ferries at this time of the year. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And uh, as well, just as you got out, I mean, shortly afterwards, there was those uh, drone attack. Uh, attacks on the city as well. That's right. So as I entered actually Ukraine um, going back uh, about three and a half weeks ago, um, that's when obviously people would have known the news about the the stray missile that went into Poland. And also at the same time as I was passing, uh, driving past Lviv, the energy plant had been hit there. So I was doing a live stream there and people could actually see I was about three kilometres maybe from where that initial attack was. Now, I didn't see the strike itself, but I saw the aftermath of it and uh, and the huge you know, plume of smoke that was uh, engulfing the city of Lviv. People still might mean, God knows my own geography needs a kick in the ass at times, but would you just tell us the geography of it in terms of where the front line is now in in Ukraine, Andrew? Absolutely. So the front line of Ukraine is in the eastern part of Ukraine, which is the Donbass region. Uh, it's also in the southern parts of Ukraine. And people don't really understand how big geographically Ukraine is. For example, once I'm on the border entering, which the nearest city to me would be Lviv. Lviv is about 45 minutes from the border, uh, the Polish border. Yes. If I was to go as the crow flies from um, the border of Ukraine down by Medica and drive to Kiev, it takes me 10 hours driving at approximately 110 kilometres an hour. So that's 10 hours to the central or north central part of Ukraine. Wow. To go to Kharkiv from Kiev takes an additional four and a half hours driving, driving again at approximately the same speeds. And Kharkiv was actually uh, invaded by the, the, the Russian army. Uh, now it's not. It's a, it's a liberated city mm. now, but it is a staging point now for you know, the, uh, the defensive going into the Donbass region. Donbass is a greater region that consists of two main oblasts or regions, which is Donetsk and Luhansk mm. and uh, th- that's where my, my wife would have been originally from was Lugansk city which is again that's on the far eastern side of the Donbass region so if you were to go try to travel as the crow flies from the border to border it would probably take you approximately 36 hours driving wow so it's a huge it's huge country. space isn't it massive yeah. country so there is a, a very common misunderstanding as to geographically where the front lines are her son was liberated there about three and a half weeks ago four weeks ago um southern uh, her son is still being contested mm. so that's where um that's where the russian soldiers are
Tell me about your work over there and what you were doing while, while you were there. Yeah, so mainly it was humanitarian work. Uh, I was bringing advanced medical supplies. I was bringing medicines. Uh, these would be, um, these wouldn't be like your normal paracetamols and things like that. I was bringing high-end medicines there that would be needed to be given to either a frontline field hospital or to um, a hospital that is taking care of soldiers or civilians who have been um, affected by the war, who have received war injuries, say, for example. Um, I made my way over to um, to Kiev straight away. So basically, once I entered, I took the, the 10, 11 hour drive there to get to Kiev, uh, took a rest, obviously, for a day to, to catch up on sleep after the long drive across Europe. And I was making my way then to an orphanage then in the Boyarka region which is the, say, southern, southwestern part of the Kiev district. Not Kiev centre, mm. but just, just kind of a, like a town or a village off it. Um, and that is um, where the, I found an orphanage where um, kids who have been affected, unfortunately, by the war lost their parents. Um, these kids were taken from the Donbass region. Um, and, and basically homed. Um, so, so they're under government care. Desperately sad, is it, just to see these kids? That are... The stories I heard, Fran, um, from the people caring for these children, some of these children didn't talk for weeks. Um, they've witnessed the most horrible atrocities um, basically committed against their parents. Um, some of these parents witnessed rape, torture and execution of their parents, as well as, you know, been, been around uh, missile strikes and artillery strikes. So these kids are scarred for life, really, with this, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just unthinkable, really. Um, what about the resolution of, of the people at this point, uh, Andrew? Are they, are they still, you know, in support of Zelensky and in support of this war? 100%. Yes. Absolutely they are. And uh, I think this is something, again, that I've tried to communicate throughout the start. Ukrainian people are very, very much like Irish people. You know, they're very proud people. They're very strong people. Um, they love their family. They love their religions. And there's different religions within the country. Yes. And, you know, it's a very, they try to be as inclusive um, as they possibly can. They have had their homes basically invaded or their homeland invaded and it's no different than our history going back you know mm. 800 years mm. ago 900 years ago and they just want their territory back and they want to live in peace they don't want any other territory other than their own and that's what they're fighting for they're fighting for their home and they're willing land. to keep fighting for that 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah and is there anybody out there or are there factions who are saying listen we need to talk peace at this point we need to to you're always going to have people who are, are going to be in opposition. I mean, that's that's kind of par for the par for the course. Uh, most of the people who would uh, be willing for peace haven't been touched or affected by the war. And this is something that uh, people need to understand is that the, the front lines change all the time over in Ukraine. Mm. In the initial stages of the invasion, and I call it the invasion because this is not when the war started. The war started back in 2014 mm. and how I know that is because I had to evacuate my own wife from um, from the Luhansk region, basically from Lugansk. And actually as she was, a, her dad was driving her out at her at the time when he was well, he the train station was, was blown up. So this is back in 2014. Um, so this invasion only drew international attention here um, really because of uh, what the Russians were actually doing mm. and they were staging this attack, you know, what appeared to be for months. Um, so this was a methodical and it was a calculated attack from the Russian army to seize a country. And the, the problem with this is that, you know, sovereign territory is sovereign territory. 
at the end of the day. And now there's been war crimes committed now from the from the Russian occupiers. And the Ukrainian army are going to defend against this. They're trying to conduct themselves as best as they possibly can under the Geneva Convention. And again, as they say, you know, war is hell. You know, that's the old saying. And what's happening now in the likes of Bak- uh, Bakhmut and uh, Solidar uh, is, is mm. absolutely... Horrendous. The, what concerns me, though, is that I can't see an end to this because you speak about the resolution of the Ukrainian people and there's no doubt in my mind that Russia and Putin, to save face, I mean, he's limited in what he can do uh, as well, I suppose, not to be taking aside in any way, but I'm just wondering about the whole political reality of it. I mean, is there an end to this? There has to be an end. There's always going to be an end eventually. Um, I have my suspicions and things like that as to what will happen. Um, what I believe is that all of a sudden this war will stop. Now, why it will stop is is, is way above my pay grade and way above my maybe my uh, geopolitical experience. But, you know, very, very similar to uh, to other wars, you know, all of a sudden this just happens. Is this going to happen with, a, you know, a great victory or a great loss? No, I don't think so. There's going to have to be peace, uh, peace talks at some point. However, uh, I don't feel that the Ukrainians should or will... Um, you know, give um, serious peace discussions unless it's a return of all of their sovereign territory. Mm. I do believe concessions are going to have to be made on both sides. Um, but Russian, the Russian army has been shown up for exactly exactly what it is, a corrupt organisation who has uh, depleted um, resources and are basically giving their own soldiers six, seven days training uh, a rifle there that the grandfather used and a uniform that the grandfather used back from the Korean War or back from the you know the Soviet era and they're they're been literally sent into a meat grinder in Bakhmut and Solidar even if peace comes about and god knows that's it's what most uh, right thinking people are hoping for but i mean you've a country that is going to be so depleted because of the attacks on it i mean what are you seeing out there in terms of the, to rebuild ukraine yeah I mean, are we talking about a decade and where would that money come from? It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a long road, obviously, for the Ukrainians to recover from this. Um, the psychological effects of this are going to be uh, felt for generations to come, not just, you know, years or months to come. Um, I was in Kharkiv. Kharkiv, again, as I said earlier, was, uh, was frontline, was invaded by the Russians. And I saw um, the school, basically, that was headline news, whereby there were over 200 people, civilians, inside in that, that yeah. was artillery, and um, there was grad missiles, and they, they unfortunately blew the school up. That school is still there. Uh, it's still uh, in the way um, that it was left, unfortunately. But what I have seen as well is residential buildings blown up. Um, and these were people where, pe- where people were living, people were staying. But in the Kharkiv region, they're already starting to rebuild. And this is, you know, they, they only received liberation back in late April. And, you know, I heard earlier on there, you're talking about, you know, the housing crisis here and things like that. The Ukrainians have built, you know, roads and they have built houses and residential apartment buildings in super quick time. While the war is going on? While the war is going on. And yet... Are you serious? And yet we can't build houses for for citizens in Ireland. It's it's a crazy situation. Under perfect conditions. Under perfect conditions, exactly. That's that's uh, an incredible piece of information. The builders even and the contractors, the, you know, all, the, all the, the, you know, the normal civil servants over there, everybody there is working for Ukraine. Everybody. 
um, whether it's in a volunteer capacity, whether it's in a government capacity or whether they're trying to run their own business like supermarkets and, and all sorts. So obviously it's very difficult because there are things, you know, like blackouts. Yes. So there's two different types of blackouts over there. There's an emergency blackout and then there's a critical blackout. And an emergency blackout is basically like a rationed or planned blackout by the government so that they can ration energy appropriately. They try to give everybody enough power, so usually around eight hours power a day, and that way they can get their cooking done, their washing done and things like that. But quite often they're left in in darkness for periods of time. And then a critical blackout then is because of an attack on critical infrastructure. And usually that the Ukrainians will have to, obviously, to preserve their what's left of their, their energy infrastructure, they're going to have to shut down by doing emergency blackouts. But they're still going, they're still fighting, and they're still, you know, trying to adapt to the situation. And and talk to me about uh, weather, because, I mean, here we are, we're all very concerned. It's, it's under zero uh, here, and we're all very cold and feeling mm-hmm. sorry for ourselves. How bad does it get uh, out there in it can get up to minus 30, 40 degrees easily. Um, I was sitting in, uh, in, in the Kharkiv region there and it was minus 11. Um, and my mum, I was laughing at my mum because she said, the beast from the east is coming, you know, is coming to Ireland. And so what kind of temperatures are you talking about? She said, I think about minus three. I said, the van is minus 11 now at the moment. So I was kind of laughing a little bit. But It's um, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a different part of the world. They, they, this is a normal weather system for them. So, you know, they they will adapt to that. But, you know, to, to put it into context in, in terms of what the soldiers are experiencing, you know, and what the citizens are experiencing, if you have no energy, you know, your house or your apartment building is going to get very cold very, very quickly. So, you know, obviously they're going to have to, to wrap up because minus 20, even minus 11, you know, we can go out now and it's quite fresh and we'll stick on a pair of gloves and a hat. Your skin starts to burn when you're in minus 20 degrees. It literally starts to burn. So you have to cover, you know, every exposed piece of skin. Otherwise, after about five, six minutes, you're, you're going to be susceptible to frostbite and hypothermia. And you don't have the warm home often to to go home too. Quite like, often, which yeah, is, exactly. Which is the, the case exactly. too. What do you make of the conversation changing? I mean, w- when this first happened, Irish people stood up to the plate. They offered their homes. They offered all sorts of great uh, works and uh, tried their best to look after Ukrainian people. Now we're reading in the paper today, uh, Ukrainians uh, will be urged to avoid coming to Ireland for a three-week period due to accommodation capacity constraints. Mm-hmm. And there is no doubt at this point, Andrew, we are at capacity. I agree. What, what, what do you make of that? I mean, look, it is what it is. I mean, we're, we have our own struggles here with the housing crisis and things like that. The Irish people have stood up and they have done absolutely remarkable work in trying to help the this situation. I think there's more we can still do. I think our, our own government need to stand up themselves and they need to start building houses. You know, we're in a, a, a situation now where the whole world has an inflated economy and that's an issue. So I don't know, is it an issue there where our government doesn't want to build because of inflated houses and they're waiting for the markets to, to crash to decide then that they will actually build. But there is more that we can do and, and what I've said to you earlier on is like there are people there and you can see all the evidence of where I was. I was in Lehman and that village in Lehman is pretty much totaled 
Um, and these were schools and their houses and villages that just, are just, just raised. They're just, just raised to the ground. There's nothing left of them. And there are people there, you know, who have patched up their roof or patched up their doors or their walls, and they're still living in those conditions because it's, you know, uh, through the ambulance service and the fire service here in Ireland, we often would hear of stubborn patients, and and it's like I was born in this house and I'll um, die in this yeah, house, and yeah. it's, you know, we all have that mentality within our within our culture, and that's the resolve of of the Ukrainian people that's what they know and that's what they've done for all of their lives and and they just want they just want a peaceful life but um yeah is there going to be an end to it yeah everything does come to an end but uh, it can only end with uh, with the russian army going home and you'd wonder at what stage that something like that will will happen uh, when are you going out again andrew i hope to go back again at the at the end of january so I'll be going back out again to um, to train again the, the Ukrainian Armed Forces in tactical medicine. And I'll also be bringing frontline medicines as well to the field hospitals. I'm not really committing to a place or a region. I will be in the eastern part of Ukraine again. Um, yes. as I, I know the region quite well. And uh, it, it will be close to the front line where, where I'll be. Right. Can people help you out uh, in terms of what it is you'll be bringing out there? If they can, that would be absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we've done so much there for, as I said, orphanages and and families and and, uh, and the frontline hospitals um, but anything at all I'll be running a couple of raffles again and you know I don't expect people to you know to give for nothing and you know we've had some very very generous businesses here in, in Clonmel um, again I just want to mention um, Handy Controls who, who donated two generators which we got um, so they're keeping two schools two orphanages warm uh-huh. um, so thank you so much for that uh, Barlow Motor Group Tip Tires um, EMF Controls you know, people and businesses have been so great because they understand that this could just as easily be them. And if this was a situation, Fran, that happened in Ireland, our people would not be able to survive. They would not. They have no idea what it is like over on the eastern part of Ukraine. None whatsoever. And unfortunately, the news does not portray exactly what is going on. I mean, these are residential buildings and I'm hearing people arguing now on social media. What about our own? We can't house our own homeless and this and that and the other thing. Guys, our own homeless, I've I've worked with the homeless for over 14 years. Okay, I've trained up the likes of Merchants Key Ireland, their staff and social workers, the likes of the Anna Liffey Drug Project, their staff, their social workers. I've seen the conditions. I understand the statistics. People now are too easily manipulated on social media for clickbaits and likes and shares. And they think that by reading a newspaper article or by reading an internet story that this educates them on such matters. And unfortunately, it doesn't. Um... The situation in Ireland here isn't good with our own homeless and there is things that we can do and there is more things that our government should be doing, absolutely. But also as well, you have people who are affected by the war there, who have literally witnessed the worst atrocities known to man. The Wagner Group, for example, who are over in Ukraine are committing war crimes on a daily basis. They're crucifying people, Fran. I mean crucifying them, torturing them and then burning them alive. This is a private military military group that is... They're mercenaries. They're, they're elite soldiers. These are elite mercenary soldiers and they're contesting back now at the moment. And what they're doing is they're getting Russian soldiers, conscripts, basically plucked from their homes and they're sending them in waves of three, four, five hundred. And all they're doing is they're letting them be cannon fodder where they target then 
the Ukrainian uh, defence lines. And this is this needs My to God. end. My God, it's it's amazing to hear the story told like that. Andrew, we appreciate your time. We appreciate what you've been doing in Ukraine as well. And thanks for coming into us. Uh, Thank today. you so much. Thank you. Really News and information's it. on the way. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie